Hello, church. If you would open to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are going to back up. I'll explain it in just a moment what we're doing, but let's read. 1 Timothy 3, chapter 14 and 15. Or I'm sorry, verses 14 and 15. This is God's word. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. And so, Father, again, we we thank you for the absolute privilege it is to be a part of the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Lord, we thank you that the gospel has reached us and your church is established here in this city and that you're still building and strengthening us. We pray you do that even today and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, this is going to be different. I'm going to warn you right now, okay? Um, the, uh, I, I said to someone this morning, I showed up at church today with two sermons in the holster. Uh, one, if the lights were on and the, and the sound was working, and another, if the lights weren't working and the sound wasn't working, I would preach that sermon. And so you're going to get the other sermon uh, the one I wrote last night, um, and isn't really prepared. Uh, and so um, this is somewhat reminiscent for me. I got to uh, share this before we, uh, before we talk about missions is what I want to speak about. But uh, when I first was converted at 18, about eight months after that or so, I got a phone call from a pastor who wanted me to be a youth minister at their church, and they had about 60 or 70 kids or so, and I hadn't read the Bible the whole way through. I didn't know what I was doing. I had not been trained, and then they give me all these these youth that I'm to preach to every single week, and I had no training whatsoever, and so I would be driving to the youth event that I was going to speak at and thinking, what should I talk about, Lord? <laughs> I had no I had no idea. Um, I didn't know I was supposed to plan ahead. I, I just did not know. And, um, and so here we are again, you know, many, many years later, I'm driving and, and saying, Lord, uh, what do I speak about? Um, so here, here's something that uh, I know that these things, lights not working, power out, all these things can throw us off uh, very easily because we're used to such comfort we're used to lights being at the same level, volume at the same level. We are so easily conditioned to these certain circumstances. But you've got to understand something about this church, about the Cross Church. We started in a living room. Okay, we started in a living room. Uh, and, and nobody, I didn't wear a tie. And, and we didn't have microphones. And then we moved into a ROTC building on the University of West Florida campus. And we met there for about a year and a half. And then from there, we moved to another building. 
and then to another to about 15 buildings, 15 locations. And some of those buildings were in inner city difficult areas where we didn't, were renting community centers. We didn't have air conditioning when it was hot many times. We didn't have heat when it was cold. And we still worshiped and we still preached and we still were a church and we still were growing and God was still honored and we weren't thrown off. And I kind of got excited, um, to be quite honest, when I thought, Maybe everything will mess up on Sunday because that might be good for us as a church because I'm used to it. I, this is not really that big of a deal to me. It's very awkward for some of you, and I am kind of wanted that for you. And, and the reason I kind of want that for you is because sometimes we need to remember how unique our American setting in churches are compared to what's going on around the world compared to what's happened throughout history. Uh, this is very, very unique, and, and we can easily forget what God is doing and has been doing all over the world. Um, I, I had us read this passage and move back uh, a number of verses in 1 Timothy, because I think that's a helpful, uh, a helpful thing in verse 14 that Paul's saying. To Timothy, let me read it again for us. I hope to come to you soon. To who? To Timothy, who's where? In Ephesus. And I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So Paul wants to get to Timothy, who's in the church in Ephesus. Now, I reread this morning, this was my devotion, uh, Acts 18, Acts 19, when Paul and Timothy are on their second missionary journey, and they're visiting Ephesus. And this is before, they didn't have a pastor yet at this time, but then eventually, Timothy was sent, who was a missionary first, to Ephesus, but then was sent to pastor that church. And now Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus and to Timothy, who's pastoring that church, and telling them, this is what you need to do to be a healthy, God-honoring church. Um, and so there's some context here, and the context is this. It's missions. It's that the gospel advances into new pagan cities like Ephesus, and in Acts 18 and 19 shows many of these people with these Greek names. They're like it's interesting, you read the names and they're the same as a lot of Greek gods and goddesses, these people's names. And all these people are he's naming are in the church now. They're converts in these churches and they're faithful saints. And the gospel moves into these cities and churches are birthed and Christianity begins to progress. And so what I want to do is, uh, is remind us of a few things regarding the progress of the gospel and the progress of Christianity into the world. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, the Christian church was designed from the first to be aggressive. It was not intended to remain stationary at any period, but to advance onward. It was to spread from Jerusalem to all Judea, from Judea to Samaria, from Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
it was not intended to radiate from one central point only, but to form numerous centers from which its influence might spread to the surrounding parts. And so what happens in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit falls, is given to the believers there, 120, then 3,000 are saved, and then those 3,000 go out and begin to preach and gather as a church, and then churches are being formed, but it's Jewish churches, right? But then at one point uh, in Acts 10, an angel comes to Cornelius and says, it's time that the gospel go to the Gentiles. And then, the, and then they begin to go out and Gentile churches begin to be planted. What are Gentile churches? Churches that are not Jewish. Any other nation or people that are not Jewish or Gentiles, we are a Gentile church. And here's what happened. The, the apostle Mark, uh, John Mark, goes to Egypt in 49 AD. Paul on his first missionary journey, goes to Turkey in 51 AD. Paul goes on his second missionary journey to Greece in 51 AD. The apostle Matthew goes to Ethiopia. The apostle Andrew, up near modern, what we would call modern Russia or Turkey. Uh, Bartholomew goes to Arabia. Thomas, doubting Thomas, uh, goes to India in 52 AD. Um, he was actually um, taken captive in India. He was supposed to be um, doing some work there for the king, and he ended up witnessing and uh, preaching the gospel, and the church was formed there in India through Thomas. And then Paul, on his third missionary journey, uh, heads out and visits and plants some more churches and visits some other, some other churches. One historian said this, what began as a Jewish sect in AD 30, after Jesus' resurrection, had grown into a world religion by AD 60. Another historian said, every Christian in the early church was a witness, and nothing makes this clearer than how unknown they were. He says, you won't find their names in history books because it was literally the whole church of just regular Christians moving the gospel forward with unstoppable force. And then John Fox wrote uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, said this, in the early church, every Christian was a missionary. He said, the soldier tried to win the other soldiers to Christ. The prisoner sought to bring the jailer to Christ. The servant whispered in the gospel, uh, in, the go uh, the gospel in the ears of his master. The young wife begged her husband to receive the gospel. Everyone who had experienced the joys of believing tried to bring others into the faith. And so all those first century Christians eventually died out. And the church kept moving forward. And here's the progress. The first Christians were reported in Austria in 174 AD. The first church emerged in northern Italy in 280 AD. In 350 AD, 53% uh, of the Roman Empire claimed Christ. In 432 AD, St. Patrick, yes, the St. Patrick you're thinking of, uh, headed to Ireland 
In 596 AD, Gregory the Great sent a team of missionaries to England, to Canterbury, to reintroduce them to the gospel. And within a year, uh, they had baptized 100 or 10,000 people. 635 AD, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. 740, Irish monks reached Iceland. In 900 AD, missionaries reached Norway. Uh, the uh, 1200 AD, the Bible is now in 22 different languages. By 1498, the first Christians are reported in Kenya. And in 1554, it was reported that there were 1,500 converts in Thailand. Now that just gets us up to the modern mission movement where things exploded. We know the modern mission movement over the last 500 years, they actually estimate uh, that more has been done for the spread of the gospel in the last 500 years than the last uh, 1,500 combined. And so what, what does this show us? It shows us that our God, uh, he is not losing ground ever. I mean, it, it's really amazing. You hear this every once in a while as some new kind of extreme form of secularism emerges or something. Uh, people will talk, even conservative people will say, oh, it seems like Christianity's losing ground. Christianity doesn't lose ground. It just progresses. It just does. And if it decreases in a nation, it, it, history shows us that it then reemerges in that nation later. And more are converted and more push the gospel back into those regions. And so all of that to give us some context here. Paul is writing to Timothy in a missionary context because Timothy is a different type of missionary than Paul. Uh, many of you have heard this distinction that there are Paul-like missionaries, and there's Timothy-like missionaries. A Paul-like missionary is someone who goes to the unreached peoples of the world. What did Paul say? I have this ambition to preach Christ where he has not been named. That's a Paul-like missionary. That's what Matt Grace is. That's what, uh, I, I won't say their name publicly, but another missionary family that we support that are in an unreached area are. Uh, Cody is not an unreached missionary, but he's working in some unreached areas. Those are Paul-like missionaries. A Timothy-like missionary is different. Timothy-like missionaries are what Timothy grew up in Lystra. He wasn't from Ephesus, but he was sent to Ephesus to then pastor that church into maturity, and then they would send out more missionaries. That's kind of like what I was when we started this church, um, a, a Timothy-like missionary. And do we need both type missionaries? Yes. We need missionaries to take the gospel where Christ has not been named, and we need missionaries to go to places that already have the gospel and already have a church and to strengthen those churches. And so uh, let me say this to us, and I, and I promise I am going to keep this much shorter uh, this morning, but I want to I renew our minds when it comes to missions in this. You are one of two people when it comes to missions. This is a really easy way to think about this. You are either a goer and you're called of God to go, 
Paul-like, Timothy-like, go. Or you're a sender, and you help to send those that go. Here's how uh, William Carey said it. You either go down into the well, or you hold the rope for those that go down. But either way, you're helping the mission go forward. And I think that's a really helpful, this gives some background to that little story because it, it frames how we think as a church of missions. William Carey's the father of the modern missions movement. And he was, uh, he was getting ready to take the gospel to India in the 17th century. And he said, our work is like a few men getting ready to go down into a deep mine that's never been explored. And then William Carey looked at all the men with him and said, I will go down if you will hold the rope. And he meant go down into India with the gospel. And you, church, you people who are not going, you need to hold the rope so that I can go down. And, and church, we've sent some people down. There's some people that are here. They were sitting with us in services in our church, members for years. And they're not here anymore because they went down into the well. And who's required to hold the rope for them? Some missions agency that doesn't even know them? Some random believers that have never met them? Who's responsible to hold the rope for those who go down? It's their sending church. It's us. And, and how do we hold the rope would be the question. How do we hold the rope for those who go down? And there's three ways that we hold the rope. Number one, we are a part of the sending process. We cannot send out, and we should not send out, people who are not qualified to go do the work. Right? So the whole church helps in discipling one another, encouraging one another, making sure that those who we send out represent Christ well, actually possess and understand the gospel well, have some gifts that would be of use on the mission field. The church then uh, when we bring those individuals before the church, the church either affirms them or says, no, 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 we, we're not, I don't think this person's ready, you know, and, and the church then lays hands and sends out those workers. Um, so let's just put a scenario. Let's say somebody in here raises their hand and says, I want to go, like even right now, someone goes, send me, you know, I'll, I'll go. They quote the old uh, Lecrae lyrics. Um, some of y'all don't know what that is. Um, and how do we assess if we should send them? Well, there's, there's two ways that we would assess. One would be an objective, and one would be a subjective calling. So if someone goes, I have ambition, I want to spend my life getting Christ to the nations, they have that subjective call, we could say. They have that desire to go out. That's good. That's necessary. We don't need to send anybody who doesn't have that. You better want to go if you're going to go suffer. Have you all seen the type of suffering that, that Cody's endured in the last, what, four years? It's immense. If he stayed here, do you think he would have had that? I guarantee you he would not have. He had suffering before he went and then near died numerous times. Sickness, I mean, just unbelievable heartbreak at every level for the last four years. Um, he better have that internal subjective 
ambition or he's not going to endure. But he does. And so he's, by the grace of God, enduring. So you need this subjective ambition, but you also need what we would call an objective call. What is the objective call? That's the church affirming you, saying, we believe you're qualified, we believe you're gifted, we believe you should go out and do this work. And the church lays hands and sends you out. And if you have those two callings, you can go out with great confidence that God has sent you. That God has sent you. Uh, and, And that's our first responsibility for a missionary to hold the rope. The second is giving. We hold the rope by giving. Now, when Paul uh, would go to poorer areas or work among poorer regions, he would not ask for support. What did he do? He built tents. He was a tent maker by trade so that he didn't have to be a burden on any churches and ask for poorer churches to support him. He would uh, fund his own way. I don't know how familiar everybody here is with the modern what's going on in terms of uh, many people going into, there's three, there's three billion people that remain unreached, by the way. Three billion who, who have not heard the name of Jesus. And many of the people who are going into those regions and the reason that they're still unreached is because it's hostile areas. It's areas where Christianity is not welcomed. And so you can't just get a visa and say, I'm going to be a missionary in this country. You can't do that. So how do you get in there? Well, you go with a work visa. You're a tent maker. You go in with your occupation, and then as you work your job, you minister the gospel and work to plant a church. And so, um, so there's there's uh, there's Paul who's who's not asking for money from poor churches, and then to the church in Rome. Here's what's interesting, and with Paul talking to the church in Rome. He says, I don't want you to go to Spain with me, but I do want your help. I want your financial help. This is a wealthier church. They could afford to send him, but he didn't say, I want all of you to be missionaries and go with me, but I do want your money, and I do need your prayers. And so the church sent him. Guys, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar, and I certainly don't want to stand up here and say anything bad about the International Mission Board. Um, the IMB is the largest sending organization ever in the history of Christianity. Uh, it is a massive enterprise. Um, the, the International Mission Board with the Southern Baptist Convention sends out thousands of, of missionaries. Um, and, and there is good, obviously, that the Lord has done for that. Uh, I don't want to be overly critical about that. But you could be in an SBC church giving year after year after year, your whole life, generous giving. And you would never know a face of one you're giving to, never know the actual work they're doing, never know if that person's really qualified and has been assessed rightly, to be on the field in the first place. You know, and this is the, 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 the mega ship of missions organizations out there. And the only reason I bring that out is to highlight, is that what, do we have scripture that says that's plan A? You could argue it's plan B and not unbiblical, but is it plan A? 
No, plan A is the local church sending out missionaries that people, we know their names. We know their marriages. We know how they raise their children. We know what type of lives they live. We, have a, we keep in contact with them. This is why we would rather, you know, with the money that we spend on missions, we would rather uh, support a few missionaries that we know rather than just sp- give a, a little bit of money to a ton of people. Because it seems that's the New Testament pattern. Paul knew the people who sent him out. And so he's going to Rome and saying, uh, I can't have the church in Antioch support me any longer because I need you to now send me and support me. And, and maybe I should say this as well. It's interesting that Paul was converted and for 10 years, he would not go out as a missionary until the church in Antioch felt he was ready. That's the apostle Paul who submitted himself to the church in Antioch and would not go out on the first missionary journey until 10 years had gone by. And remember, he was already an Old Testament Hebrew scholar. It's not like he didn't know things. He was already reasoning. He was already smarter than all the Christians in Antioch to begin with. But he submitted himself under that local church before they sent him out. That's very important to remember. Let me just put the last thing before us, and this will be the shortest. Um, we, we hold the rope for those who go down through prayer. Through prayer. Guys, when we, when, when we have one of the brothers stand here and lead us to say the Great Commission every week, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And what what are I mean? These are Jesus's words to us, and the whole purpose of of working that into our service every week is to remind us: it isn't just the missionary that we send out who's called to do that. We do that here. In, in case we forgot, we are at the ends of the earth. Pensacola is a Gentile pagan nation. That's not just that we, China needs it or Russia or, or some, you know, hostile 1040 window area. We live in the Gentile nations. We live at the ends of the earth. Remember the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we're at the ends of the earth. And so we make disciples here. And so when we read that together every week, we're reminding ourselves we are sent Maybe not a Paul-like missionary, maybe not even a Timothy-like, but we are believers sent to minister the gospel and make disciples even in our own city, in our workplaces. And we need to pray for that. And we do pray for that every week. We just got finished a few moments ago. We spent half of our time this morning of our 45 minutes in prayer praying for evangelism in the advance of the gospel. Uh, We must continue to do that. Church, look, I just don't want to be the church that we just kind of get bigger and bigger and more professional and have all our stuff together. And then we don't send out missionaries and then we don't engage our own city with the gospel. We don't want to be that. I know you don't want to be that church. So what do we do? We start with prayer. We start and we pray, God, give us a passion to reach our city for Christ. Give us a passion to support well those who we send out to the nations. We we can't stop doing that. Jesus said, pray earnestly. 
to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. And what was the promise that he gave? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more labors. So maybe you're called to stay. Awesome. Pray for the person who's to be sent out and that we could support them well as a church. I'm going to end it there for this morning. Let's pray on these things throughout the week. I'll mention also, in when we pray for these missionaries, it's, it's interesting that this week, uh, the Malay people is who we, we just prayed for a moment ago. I went to that. I went to those people. I lived with them for three months in Malaysia. Uh, those are my people. I, I was a missionary to them. Uh, just, the Lord happened to work it that way this morning. But when we pray for these people, these are real people. And we need to pray as if God hears these prayers because he does and that it will advance the cause of Christ in these regions. So not just when we gather do we pray those. When you go home, you have that bulletin, you have that people group. I encourage you to keep praying through the week uh, for those who are ministering in those areas. We're going to prepare to go to the supper. And... Um, as we do this, like always, this table Christ gave to his church, but he gave it to those who had been baptized into Christ, and we could even say into the church, and uh, that they would continue to come and take the supper together. So if you've put your faith in Christ, you've been baptized, please join us. Uh, if not, you uh, and you'll be refraining, you can find in your bulletin on page two some very meaningful prayers uh, that you can pray in this time. Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Prepare our hearts uh, to come and take this together. Father, Lord, you are so jealous of your glory in the nations. You will not stop. And we don't believe that your scripture teaches that you will return until all peoples and tribes and nations and tongues have bowed, that all those for whom your Son died be brought into the fold. Lord, you said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And Lord, we know that you bring them in through the proclamation of the gospel. And you persevere us to glory in your local church. And so, Father, please help us to be a church that advances your cause in this city, in the nations. Lord, that we could pick up where the churches in previous generations left off and pass on to the next generation this glorious gospel that it could be passed on and advanced to others. Lord, help us with these things. Lord, strengthen us at the table right now uh, toward all these ends. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.